BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Salem. My name's your bruiser, Holden. What's yours? I put a spell on you. I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. Take it, Jake. Oh, look, another glorious morning. (laughs) Makes me sick. (laughs) Bruiser, Jake. (laughs) I was a bruiser, Jake. We do. Come on. Hold on. Wait. One Um, job, Jake. Hold on, let me do Itchy de Kappa Melikaya Mystica. Or, oh, 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 no, I'm sorry, wait, here. Uh, I'm I'm wearing a low-cut top, and I'm, like, writhing over a broomstick, and I'm just like, come, little children, I'll yeah. take you away. Quit uh, making me weirdly turned on right now, Jake. I don't know why okay. that has to be like You know that. what? All right, we're doing Hocus Pocus. You read the title. <laughs> yes. It's our first we're doing the movie Hocus Pocus. spooky month here at Wizard uh, and the Bruiser. I'm so excited. We're in spooky month, and we are doing all spooky stuff, except for Black Adam, but he's kind of spooky. He's a little spooky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thrilled we're here. I, You know, especially because like this year, we, if you're listening this way after the fact, it's 2022. Uh, last year I had a newborn and my life was chaos and Halloween was not so fun. This year I want to dress up. I want to go out. I want to do things. I want to frighten people. I want to trick a bunch of kids into like walking into a basement and then like trap them in there and play mind games with them. Bad shenanigan. Bad (laughs) shenanigan. Oh, is that not a good trick? That's not a good trick. No, but. That is a felony. But I'm just. So in the Halloween spirit this year and Hocus Pocus, what a great movie to kick it off, to get you just right into that mood. Uh, Right, Jake? Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, from the from the from the get go, like, you know, this movie came out in 1993. I think I actually saw it in theaters um, and it was always a weird one. The fact that through just sheer force of will, the amount of like campiness and ribald humor and like memorable visuals from like the music to the costume design to the incredible performances by Kathy and Jimmy Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, It has become like this canonical thing uh, just tied to the holiday season for an entire generation of kids that grew up on basic cable and DVD Mm -hmm. sales. And the fact is, 
this is an oddball movie. Like they yes. literally don't make them like this no more. <laughs> yeah. Um, Weirdly I, horny and like. Oh, okay. All right. All right. 1993. At this point, I'm probably like nine years old. And if you don't remember, if you haven't seen this movie in quite a while, it is integral to the plot that our main character is a virgin. <laughs> yes. Like, it, it is brought up constantly. It is brought up by multiple characters. Which reminds me of Monster Squad, by the way. Monster Squad does the same thing, which is made, I believe, a few years earlier in the 80s. But yeah, again, it's this kids movie where one of the big point talking points is one of those kids is a virgin. And that's yeah how things go down around. Uh, you know. So, but the 80s, we've talked about this before. It was a little bit of the Wild West. Uh, we've actually, I've actually, if you look in the archives, uh, I've talked to... To the kind of main producer, the the instigator of this movie, David Kirshner, about why things back then were so much dirtier and weirder and scarier. And the fact is, you know, you were just telling like if you grew up on grim fairy tales and like adult movies and you were making kid stuff in the 80s, you didn't even have the wherewithal to even think about like market testing and uh, standards and practices. You just made what you thought would be goofy and cool and funny and scary. Um, I remember being nine years old and in the theater with for this movie and just turning to my mom immediately and being like, what's a virgin? Because it's this word I hadn't heard before. Again, pre-internet. Yeah. Like all my media was controlled by my parents. And like out of nowhere, like even I think it's like, Thora Birch, who's like 10 years old at the time, is like mocking her brother for not having fucked yet, which is just a weird thing. And so like, I'm like, oh, what is this word? This is apparently a bad thing to be. I don't understand. And so nine-year-old me turns to my mom. I'm like, what's a virgin? And my, <laughs> like, just the look of abject terror and confusion and like <laughs> her being like, fuck, we got to do this right now, right? Uh, 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 well, babies, no, uh, uh. Kissing? No. Uh, uh, it's it's. Uh, we'll tell you later. Don't interrupt the movie. And like just just having to. I you know, maybe she even was like it means they didn't have sex yet. And I was like, what? Like it, we'll talk about it later. Right. Just like again in a kids movie, like a little little like this is this is this aired on ABC Family for decades. Or I'm sorry, Freeform as it's currently known, Freeform, and and like. Sarah Jessica Parker's character is horny. There's like a whole bit about yabos. Like, yeah, they totally actually use the word yabos. You've got um, uh, the mother character dressed up as the horny, like one of the horniest versions of Madonna <laughs> with the big cone tits. Yeah, there's a bunch of just weird. Yeah, there's a bunch of weird sexuality stuff going on. And in that way, yes, they don't make them like this anymore. But also, this film corners the market on something they do make a lot more nowadays. And that is the non-horror Halloween film. Mm -hmm. Or at least the like not-too-scary Halloween film, right? You have zombies and pumpkins and devils and witches and all these different elements, right? But... You're not it's you know, it, it's still for the for the non diehard horror fan. 
it's it's a safe space to enjoy Halloween without being tested too much on, on those ways, right? And I think that back then you didn't have a lot of those, which is partly why I think Disney just did not know what the fuck to do with this movie. But also, uh, and and but also today, I feel like there's a big yearning for that. There's a, people mm. love Halloween in a way. I think it's like never been more popular, honestly, than than it than it than nowadays. Like people get really into it. They're into it for the entire month. It's, you know, and if you're not like going to do a 31 for 31 and watch, you know, nothing but horror movies all month, but you just want to enjoy some stuff, you've got this, you've got Nightmare Before Christmas, and you've got some of these more recent, like, you know, I would even throw like Fear Street in there, which was great on Netflix. You know, there's just these stronger efforts to do spooky stuff that that doesn't test the, 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 the will of the viewer too much. It's uh, I mean, it's a I've read people theorize about what is it about this movie that kind of from the jaws of obscurity, like made this movie so iconic and a necessary part of the holidays. And in a way, the same way that like our canon of Christmas movies kind of emerged from the same era in the 50s and 60s when the holidays started getting commercialized uh, in the 90s and the 2000s, Halloween kind of came into its own as this pan denominational like universal american celebration uh during this time period halloween celebrations started spreading to europe and in asia like like the halloween spirit kind of evolved beyond just a few local traditions and like uh bags of candy to becoming its own cottage industry and like you said it has the disney seal of approval mm-hmm. uh it was kind of born from these uh, yearly blocks of programming where it just every year after year compared to the other offerings, it just stood out so much more strongly than anything else, than uh, a TV movie or like a, a little Halloween special. Like it is a major motion picture mm-hmm. and it is just with full. massive talent. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, because even at the time, Sarah Jessica Parker wasn't Sarah Jessica Parker, right? Kathy Najimy was just getting a name for herself after Sister Act. The only person that was just a star uh, from the very beginning was Bette Midler, right? And, but that is such a huge draw. Like she's so charming and great and like most everything she's in and because it's her and because the director is is gay there's this like underlying like queerness Mm. aspect to it as well that i think was largely picked up by the Mm -hmm. drag community i'm like really thrilled about the uh drag influence on the sequel which we'll talk about later on in the show but it just i think it speaks to a lot of different audiences for completely different reasons Mm. right musical lovers uh drag queens you've got um Horny boys, let's just say. We're just going to throw horny boys on horny the table. Let's bus not drivers. throw them on the table. We'll keep them off the table. I don't want them anywhere near me. Hold on. Uh, there has not been a single episode of our podcast in which horny boys weren't just piled high on our table. <laughs> so the smell is awful, by the they way. They really I am, don't shower as they much as do they not. should. Yeah, they don't use the communal shower because they're worried about, like, you know, <laughs> popping a boner around each other, which is totally understandable at this point. Uh, can we stop talking about horny boys? I want to jump off a bridge right now. 
<laughs> but it just it works for so many people and it's the only classic disney movie where a young girl is strapped to a chair and murdered <laughs> within Women the first are hanged. <laughs> yeah it's insane like the opening is crazy too with that stuff uh so there's that and then also though but it's the perfect afternoon tv show for adolescents you know or i'm sorry afternoon movie right or or, you know, just that, that that thing that's just on that you end up watching. Because it is slightly horny, but not too horny. It is slightly spooky, but not too spooky. It just, it just it, you know, it's totally can play it completely uncensored on television and get away with it. But there's little things going on there that I think just draw people in for completely different reasons. And I just love it for that. It's also... You know, at a time when, like, we had some of it, but not a ton of it, to see three confident, funny female, like, leads in these really over-the-top, silly roles is refreshing. Because, you know, especially back then, comedy, and especially, like, physical comedy and that sort of stuff, and really broad comedy, was very much so dominated by uh, by men. Mm-hmm. And I so I think there was also a lot of people out there, a lot of women especially, who were, am I mansplaining this correctly, listeners? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Who were, you know, drawn to a refreshing version of, you know, comedic, big comedic characters, you know? Uh, just doing a quick cursory glance at the films of 1993 and uh, the only other female-driven comedies that were released that year was Sister Act 2 and Mrs. Doubtfire, and that one has an asterisk <laughs> on it. Well, that's, yeah, yeah, that's not <laughs> at all. So exactly, Jake. I just think it it, it was refreshing back then and it's perfect for now and 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 as years have gone by and as people show it to their kids and it just becomes this gets this legendary status it's hard to believe that at one point it was a massive flop and we'll talk about why um it's you know spoiler alert it's cuz they fucking released it in the middle of the summer yeah. like a bunch of idiots not idiots it's i mean well i mean it's well the story uh, the the explanation i read was that, uh, you know, Kirshner, who we mentioned a lot in our uh, Child's Play episode, is kind of a little bit of an outsider. He kind of just does his own thing. He worked with uh, Spielberg on American Tale. He worked mm. on his own things for uh, producing the Child's Play movies. Um, you know, he's just kind of been this journeyman, and he does this legendary pitch that, like, wows the right executives. They bankroll it, not really knowing what they have on their hands, Meanwhile, at the exact same time, uh, Disney also is in the middle of uh, the production nightmare that was Nightmare Before Christmas. And they're just like, they really want that to be a big hit. Um, Mm. And so they just don't want to compete with themselves. So if it comes down to, I think it just came down to which executive preferred which movie to get the axe. And I think Nightmare Before Christmas was a more belabored central to the Disney kind of core executives than Hocus Pocus, which was a smaller movie. It was less, uh, 
uh, revolutionary. It didn't have a big name like Tim Burton attached to it. It, it, it was just, you know, I don't know if they could predict this, but there was just not going to be a critical darling, you know. I'm sure uh, they like, knew. I'm like sure Nightmare. they knew. The movie yeah. is 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 kind of clumsy. It's silly. It's vaude. It's vaudeville. It's yeah. it's over the top. It's it's camp on camp on camp. You know, it's totally. Yeah, it it really feels like it could only find its place in the middle of the day, you know, at home in a living room. I mean, 90% of the movie is filmed on sound stages and it's just the main three just goofing around. Yeah. While while like a bunch of kids run away from them. Uh, The movie feels very small when all Uh is said and done. Like we really just follow the core trio of kids and of course their beloved talking cat Thackeray Binks. And the core witches, as they just kind of do a bunch of like shenanigan confrontations, they split up and then just repeat it over and over again. It's 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 it shouldn't it definitely it has this kind of individuality and this kind of uh, this this unique pacing and the performances and the effects and the humor really make it stand out as a cult classic more so than a blockbuster evergreen thing that just immediately gets to waltz right into the uh the annals of just classic movies well let's get into it let's get in the dirty details of how this thing was made and jake i think we should probably kick it off the best way possible by what by luring our listeners into a trance Come, little children, I'll take thee away into a land of enchantment. Come, little children, the times come to play here in my garden of shadows. God That's damn, right. Sarah Jessica Parker. God damn. I know. Why am I? Why is that horny for me? Uh, Pocus Pocus is if a. If I see even one <laughs> horse joke. And you're you're just parroting <laughs> that one joke from Family Guy. Nobody was saying that before. And or the she one is a joke, gorgeous or woman. the one joke I made on Roundtable when I uh, somebody was exhausting some uh, some topic, and I said you're beating a dead Sarah Jessica Parker. But that is not <laughs> that was then. This is now. She is a beautiful woman. Hocus Pocus is a 1993 fantasy comedy horror film directed by Kenny Ortega, written by Neil Cuthbert and Mick Garris, and starring Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy. Athena Jimmy. It is about three witches who are resurrected by a virgin teenage boy in Salem, Massachusetts on Halloween night. The word virgin actually weirdly necessary in the synopsis. Why, mm. God, why? Uh, so the, like, whole- the movie ends on a virgin crack, like literally <laughs> like, you know, there's a few codas, but like the, you know, the last line of the official plot is like. I'm sorry. I had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle. Like, it's so it, that is so funny, and, and, and it's so it's like is he's not even like a senior, by no. the way. He, the, the Disney Corporation explicitly is shaming 15-year-olds for not fucking <laughs> under the age of consent. So the story starts uh, as one that legendary producer David Kirshner told his kids in the form of a bedtime story. We've talked about Kirshner before on a few of our episodes. Most notably, he produced An American Tale as well as Child's Play. Check those episodes out. Uh, I interviewed sure. him. I He's incredibly nice. He was incredibly uh, like thoughtful. Uh, he invited me to his house at the end of the interview. Wow. I've listened to other interviews with him, and they're all equally wowed by this guy. Um, he is just a genial guy. I'm sure 
if I actually showed up to his house like, it's me, the podcast boy, feed me. He'd be like, oh, no, that was in L.A. Come to my house for dinner. That didn't mean anything. But uh, uh, you can look in the archives and the full interview is in the bonus feed. If you go to patreon.com slash whisper, you can listen to it. It's an hour long interview nice. with a guy that shaped your entire fucking child. Love it. So Kirshner said. Halloween is a huge deal in our home, and it has been since our daughters were little. It speaks to me in a way that becomes so emotional for me and always has. As he tells it, he and his young daughter were sitting outside one night when they saw a neighbor's black cat walk by. And this led Kirshner to make up a story about a boy from the 17th century named Thackeray Binks Mm. who tries to save his sister from three evil witches who turn him into a cat. They are then, of course, uh, if you watch the movie, you know, put to death by the townspeople of Salem, Massachusetts. Probably the darkest element of that movie is that when they get hung, only to return 300 years later on Halloween night after a virgin lights the black flame candle. He was inspired by his own childhood. Binks the cat apparently was based on Inks, a black cat he took in as a boy. I love that story. It reminds me of... When I used to, I used to make my dad make up stories for me. He would be like, can I read you a story? I'd be like, no, I want you to make one up. So every night he'd have to make up these stories um, about Pat the Rat. His name was Patrick, is Patrick. Dad's still alive. Uh, And uh, so he'd make up these stories about Pat the Rat that were clearly loosely veiled uh, animal versions of stuff from his childhood. So I love that he took this whole thing and just completely ran with it uh, and ended up making an entire ass movie out of it. Uh, In 1984, Kirshner, who is flying high from the success of his children's book series, Rose Petal Place, which is being adapted to a movie, television series, and a popular toy line, this got him uh, through the door at Disney for a pitch meeting. And he was uh, super excited to tell the powers that be there about his fun, spooky film idea. And for the meeting, this actually really reminds me of the SpongeBob SquarePants mm-hmm. pitch. Me. Is, is that not, exactly what you thought about? Several, a, a couple of times. Uh, the SpongeBob one is the one that immediately comes to mind. But we've definitely told similar stories before that like Hollywood executives Really love a bit of Raz. I think the Adventure Time pitch was also Adventure Time similarly was pretty over the big. There's a little more scaled down, but we definitely talked about the Avatar Last Airbender pitch approach and the way they used a lot of images to what, communicate. What are, you, what are you doing if you're showing up at a big Hollywood meeting? You, you're just presenting your idea on its own merits? Fuck that. Get some <laughs> twinkle lights. Put some decorations up. Do a musical number. Entertain yeah. these jaded millionaires. Yeah, God he, damn it. he hung up witch brooms from the Ceiling. He set out pictures of black cats drawn by kids in his neighborhood. I think that was a really smart touch. And spread a bag of candy corn all over the table. His big sell was that Halloween was becoming more popular and profitable than ever before. And this movie would draw in kids and parents alike. And I mean, we just did the Happy Meal episode where he talked about the big surgence of popularity of those like Halloween buckets that are mm-hmm. coming back, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. They're bringing they them back. They listened to our episode. They must have listened to it. So, you know, it really did through the 90s just become way bigger and i just feel like it keeps just it keeps gaining steam in my opinion the 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 hysteria around halloween is uh, phenomenal these days tony said uh tony kershner said uh by the time i got to the parking lot one of the executives ran after me and he said don't take it anywhere else we want to do it which i'm just in a way i just want to be like fuck off because that is like <laughs> To, you know, in my experience with pitching things, I've just never even 
you know, you, you, instead, I feel like I wait three weeks and then they're like, it's a big maybe. <laughs> it's a huge maybe. I mean, to be fair, Kirshner pitched Hocus Pocus, whereas you walked into uh, Paramount with Scrody, the dog whose balls hurt. And Boner Man, his sidekick, <laughs> who's mute. And <laughs> yeah, it was a whole. But you know what? It was, you know, at the time, no one was doing anything like it. And still, no one's doing anything like it. So if you want to take me up on that, if you're a CBS executive, give me a call next week. Uh, Kirshner uh, was buddies uh, at the time, probably still is, with Steven Spielberg. And uh, this was from him getting Amer an American tale off the ground with him. He asked him, can you give me a good writer for this project? Spielberg recommended Mick Garris, who had written for his Amazing Stories TV series. That was his anthology series. Um, and Garris has had a long working relationship with Stephen King directing stuff like the film Sleepwalkers and the TV series Bag of Bones, both of which are King adaptations. The original draft, uh, therefore, was much darker and was starring all 12-year-olds and was most likely not exactly what Disney is lo was looking for in accordance with their brand. So then the project just starts flying all over the fucking place. Um, I think it got something like 12 writers' hands on it. And uh, the only other person, however... To get a screenplay credit was Neil Cuthbert, who had only one film in his credits before that, The Return of the Swamp Thing, and only two after, uh, Mystery Men, which is great, and The Adventures of Pluto Nash, which might have uh, ended Eddie Murphy's uh, film career for a little while, one might speculate. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There is this, uh, you know, the, all these stories on how things were made, people will, like, conflate their own individual inputs and, like, there's conflicting stuff. Uh, he there showed was... up and set my knees on fire and I said, you, sir, have got a movie deal. Uh, there is uh, the idea that in 1984, Disney did have a film in production uh, with a script written by Mick Garris uh, called Disney's Halloween House. Ah. But it was very, it was, it only had, like, it was kind of not quite the same as Hocus Pocus. It was originally a lot darker and scarier. Um, Garris and Kirshner kind of teamed up a little bit. And at some point, according to uh, Garris in an interview that I am reading a quote from and couldn't actually listen to, uh, he actually helped pitch it to Steven Spielberg to do like an emblem Disney co-production for this Hocus Pocus concept. And uh, Spielberg wouldn't do it because he didn't want to work with his companion. Mm. So, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yes, there were tons of rewrites, tons of recasts. 
this thing was in development for a while. Like yeah, it seems that it never would have left that early stages of development if it weren't for the enthusiasm of Bette Midler. In fact, Bette Midler is really to thank for why we've got a sequel, why we've got uh, uh, this first film in, 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 in the first place. She's just had always had before this that star power. I mean, at this point, when she's like signs on to the film, she's hit legendary status. She's had multiple hit albums, several acclaimed starring film roles under her belt, including her parts in The Rose, uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, which kicked off her comedy acting career, which she would become super well-known for, and Beaches. She was born and raised in Hawaii, but moved to New York City in 1965 to pursue singing and acting, getting her first Broadway role in 1966 as, uh, you're going to have to help me with this, Zedel? In Fiddler on the Roof? Zydel. Zydel? Jake, you know, right? You probably, memorized probably that musical. You, don't you have to memorize it and say it, sing it aloud to people in a room to I become mean, a man? I mean, listen, I've done my fair share of <laughs> yiddle diddle deedle dums but I don't remember, like, all the fucking... Uh, I, yeah, I don't remember all the name of the of the kids. <laughs> she uh, performed that role for three years. And, and in 1970, she was singing regularly at the Continental Baths, which was a gay bathhouse in the Ansonia Hotel. There she gained a tight working relationship with her pianist, uh, Barry Manilow. And Barry Manilow ends up producing her first album, The Divine Miss M, in 1972, with many more to follow through the years, ups and downs in her career. The Rose was her breakthrough film role, and that got her over in Hollywood. She played a tragic character modeled after Janis Joplin in 1979 and continued to work steadily in film through the 80s, many of which were fun character comedy roles uh, like Down and Out in Beverly Hills, which I mentioned before, as well as Big Business in 1988, acting across from Lily Tomlin. And when Midler signed on to do Hocus Pocus, she was just coming off her second Academy Award nomination for the film For the Boys. And this was exactly what the project needed to get fully running and into full-on production. Midler said, it was an opportunity to do things that I really loved to do, uh, which is to play physical comedy and be more than a little broad. <laughs> <laughs> she are she, she and uh, the other two ladies, they are acting for the back fucking row. And it's so fun. I mean, they're all, they're all stage actors uh, originally and it shows. And I, and again, that's what's so great and why, it becomes iconic, I feel like, later on because they're just so huge on the screen that it, 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 it screams for icon status. I mean, I, I just assumed that uh, Bette Midler was like, wait, you're telling me I get to continuously slap the shit out of Kathy and Jimmy? I'm in. <laughs> uh, but here, like so many of those choices from like, yeah, Bette Midler just hamming it up, doing just the most broad kind of slapstick and like. Uh, turn around double takes to uh, Sarah Jessica Parker being the most like flighty ditzy character I've ever seen. And yet it still kind of works because she's like this supernatural creature. Uh-huh. Um, and th- even Kathy and Jimmy, who's like whole bit is just the I smell children like haha. She's uh, like she's the fat one. She's the hungry one. But like that side mouth thing she does, that is absolutely a theater choice. There is no movie production where you're like, hey, I got an idea. What if I do with my lips (laughs) the the entire movie? No director besides Kenny Ortega would be like, 
fuck no, you're not going to do that with your right. mouth the entire movie. Well, and she, apparently she got that in rehearsal. She was struggling for an angle for her character, <laughs> and she started just playing with this whole concept of, of acting like a bloodhound, essentially. <laughs> and that's where it got. She was, and you can even see her. She does like the, the, she kind of does like little rawr, rawr, like at, yeah. at the kids at certain points, and this, the way she sniffs and everything is very dog like. I uh, smell. But, Children. <laughs> a fun thing you can say in casual conversation. There Everybody loves it. Anytime you want. Uh, but no boner boy. No one <laughs> no one's saying that to anybody because I couldn't get the 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 room would not turn for See, boner you didn't boy. Didn't show up scrotum. a half hour early and fill the room with dildos. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I put in pornography all <laughs> along the walls. Really filthy stuff, dude. Not the not the normal, you know. Walk uh, into the room in a giant boner costume. Like, yeah. See, this is Having what it takes sex to get with somebody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the thing too. I was I had a full sex with someone in the room. I thought they were gonna go for it, but I you know I thought they wanted like you said that razzle dazzle, mm. but uh, I guess. They, uh, they didn't like fun, uh, <laughs> that that particular room of executives. So uh, for the director, Kirshner and team went with a hot new choreographer slash director named Kenny Ortega. Ortega said, there are only a few people in this world that if you drop their name, I'm going to say yes to whatever it is. Jeffrey Katzenberg and Bette Midler wanted to do a family film. I'd already worked with her on The Rose, and it was a dream to work with her again. She also said, Kathy had a young daughter, so she wants to do something for her kid. I said yes instantly. Ortega started out as an actor who appeared in the touring production of Oliver and Hair, and it wasn't long before he decided to get out of the acting game and Pursue choreography first via the band The Tubes, who asked him to work for them after spotting him on the dance floor. So I guess his moves were just that good that they were like, "Be our choreographer." And then uh, Cher pulled him in for for stuff, and the band Kiss pulled them in for a big tour they did to do the choreography uh, and. What brought him to Hollywood was when he was hired to help with the choreography on the film Xanadu, where he was mentored by Gene Kelly, oh. who was the head of choreography. And so that was the person he worked close for, showed him the ropes on this whole thing. And I mean, went on to do your favorite John Hughes film. So that Ferris Bueller's Day Off parade sequence, that's all him. Uh, he also did uh, the movie Dirty Dancing as well. According to Ortega, he said... When I came to Los Angeles, I was a burgeoning choreographer. I had left acting and decided to try choreography to see where it might take me. I was fortunate enough to get into music videos, and that led to choreography for film and eventually uh, directing uh, to directing films. However, he was surprised to find not a lot of love for musicals at the time. His passion uh, was musicals. He said, in the beginning, all you heard everywhere you went was that musicals were dead and everything that inspired me that I fell in in love with was no longer going to be around. I was so frustrated, so heartbroken. I thought, my God, I was born in the wrong era. How could I be in Hollywood in this place with all this heart and enthusiasm and being told musicals are dead? He, by the way, will go on to direct High School Musical and his directorial debut helped bring musicals back in good favor with Disney. That's right. He directed Newsies, which now is fantastic. Now it's the day. <laughs> <laughs> you were, man, you were fucking holding on to that. I I, I, that's why you were getting all red in the face. Answer the call and don't delay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was he. He was coming right One off the newsies. For all 
and all for one. That came out in 1992, and then he moves over to Hocus Pocus. Ortega said it was an incredible team effort. We had this wonderful and playful narrative to jump off of, and these three women, the relationship they had, the generosity that they were about. None of that can happen. The magic can't happen without bright minds and a lot of generosity. I have wonderful memories. Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall dropped in. Bet and Sarah and Kathy were all incredible. Honestly, that could you scene, ask for by the way, more? with Gary and Penny Marshall so is funny. It's if it's very so out of weird. place and weird if you don't know that's Gary and Penny Marshall. I know, right? I, I I, I yeah I remember him for, I I love this movie that no one talks about ever called Soap Dish mm-hmm. and the, the the fake soap opera on the show is called The Sun Also Sets and I just remember him going I was talking to a friend the other day and he said you know what he told me the sun also sucks and <laughs> <laughs> he's such a fight he's, he's so big too he has such a he over the top performance style it worked great for this movie but again yeah weirdly weirdly horny and him cheating on his wife uh willingly uh going on in that scene very bizarre yeah, yeah. it's just like hey we're just gonna go on this little side quest in the, whole of the movie <laughs> uh in terms of the rest of the cast we've already mentioned them we'll give a little more background kathy najimi also got her start on stage in new york city with a show she wrote with her collaborator mo gaffney a feminist comedy play it was called the kathy and mo show which ran for a few years in the late 80s and after that she turned to film with several minor roles in the early 90s until she landed sister act in 1992 this was her breakout and almost had her working with bet midler who classically turned down the lead role which was taken up of course by whoopi goldberg uh she was all uh, and and jimmy was lucky in her own right when it came to hocus pocus because someone else turned her role down for the film before it was offered to her and that would be rosie o'donnell mm. uh which honestly i could kind of see it but i am happy that it's kathy and jimmy i love kathy and jimmy she's so i mean so nothing charming but respect for peggy hill Nothing Absolutely. Now, Jimmy was most likely thrilled to be a part of the project, by the way, because she was a crazy ass bet Midler fan <laughs> to the point of kind of stalking. Now, Jimmy said my whole life, I had been a really sycophantic fan of bet Midlers. I had broken in backstage on Broadway in Los Angeles into the theater. I had done a singing telegram to her from somebody else that was really from me. <gasps> Jake, could you imagine I mean, <laughs> pretending you- to be a singing telegram person? Person. Like if I broke it, uh, got got uh, to to Taylor Swift's dressing room, it was like See, Taylor. The difference this is between from Jerry. The difference uh, between Kathy and Jimmy doing that for Bette Midler and you doing that for Taylor Swift are just. Just socially, culturally, very different <laughs> scenarios. This is from this is from your friend Jerry. You know your friend Jerry. All right, here it goes. I want to be you. I want to wear your skin. I want to get on into your skin. Why can't uh, we be one? Why can't we be <laughs> one? One. Why can't we be the same person? Yeah. Where are you going? What is that? What's that button you're pushing? Oh my God! I'm being manhandled by two security guards. Oh Lord! I'm being thrown out the window. Um. And then we have Sarah Jessica Parker, who was training in ballet, singing and acting at a very young age and landed a small role in the Broadway musical Annie in 1977 at 12 years old. She later took on the lead for that show. That is, by the way, the original run of Annie. A few years after that, she landed a role in the movie Footloose in 1984, along with other films. 
And she kind of got a name, you know, she kind of got a reputation pre-Sex in the City for playing these like ditzy type characters. She pl- she uh, played this ditzy aspiring spokesmodel in the romantic comedy L.A. Story in 1991. Uh, and uh, this gave her acclaim as a comedic actress. So um, after that, she ends up actually shout outs to another uh, subject of ours from past episodes, Nicolas Cage. Uh, she started across from him in the movie Honeymoon in Vegas in 1992, then landed Hocus Pocus. So Kathy and Jimmy and Sarah Jessica Parker um, kind of Early on in their, quite early on in their careers, uh, for sure. Uh, Omri Katz was actually not the first choice to play Max. Uh, it was initially offered to a young Leonardo DiCaprio who turned it down to be in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. So I could only imagine how even more of a kind of crazy, classic, legendary film this would be if, if Leo was in the lead role as the I boy. I mean, or would Leo not be Leo if he didn't do What's Eating Gilbert Grape and they got those True. bona fides of being like, the actor who does difficult roles. Right, right. This is correct, actually. You're right. Uh, Katz was just seven years old, by the way, Omri Katz, when he was cast in the uh, TV show Dallas, which ran for almost a decade. He did 149 episodes of that show. That is ridiculous uh, before um, taking this on. Uh, you also have a very young Thora Birch. You already mentioned Max's sister is uh, who she plays, and she later became successful in uh, stuff like, you know, you've got American Beauty, Ghost World uh, mm-hmm. as well. A lot, tons of stuff. And she still works a lot today. Her it's performance, like, she really yeah. elevates a lot of this movie. Uh, you know, the, so much of the humor in this movie is her. Again, this is something that, like, we kind of talked about in E.T., where like uh there's just this Spielberg-esque like kids as uh kind of world weary, wiser than they let on, kind of precocious uh characters. And like she is like when she has to cry, she like balls her eyes out. When she has to deliver a sassy line, she is sassing her face off. Mm-hmm. It she like this movie could have easily fallen apart with like an underwhelming child actor and uh Thora Birch really delivers and kind of makes this movie. Uh, I mean, it's all we all we, we're talking about all the constituent parts, but she definitely contributes to the movie staying power. For sure. I think uh, she she helps the kids side of it shine, which yeah. is like can technically be the weaker side of this film. She kind of is the big shining light of of those actors for sure. Um, she did the foreword for a nonfiction book called Hocus Pocus in Focus, the fan guide to the Disney Halloween classic. And she talks about how, you know, the entire time on set, it was a three month shoot mm-hmm. and it was the most fun she ever had. Uh, she remembers being like stuck in the air on a uncomfortable <laughs> wire harness with Bette Midler as she would as Bette Midler would sing. You are the wind beneath my wings wow. to like, keep her entertained and calm. She talked about Kenny Ortega uh, just having insane energy and having so much fun and like acts asking the actors to go like bigger and bigger with each new take. Um, and she like really just was overjoyed about how the movie, which did flop after it went out, you know, and this was like a major uh, role for her, uh, just wasn't a hit. And just, you know, as she's grown up, 
she gets just as many questions about, hey, are you the kid from Hocus Pocus? As much as like, hey, were you the goth chick from American Beauty? Yeah. (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And another person who was just starting their career and ended up being prolific in in their specific performance style. Yeah. Doug Jones. uh, The the great creature actor who would later be famous for his roles in Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth, among many, many others. Ridiculous uh, list of credits. He plays Billy Butcherson, who turns into a zombie in the film. And I also love, I saw a quote float around of uh, they they wanted to create the the first, uh, like a attractive zombie like they wanted to have him to have some elements of sex appeal as well i mean he does just look horny like there's a just Burton something character. horny should be called horny pocus uh i feel like sometimes you know what i mean actually that ooh, horny pocus uh that's a good porn yeah, star yeah yeah <laughs> it's me horny pocus you poke us all right boner boner boy please uh so anyways boner boy is canonically mute holden you established (laughs) i forgot about that so uh though this film is set in salem massachusetts the movie was mostly shot on sound stages in my little neighborhood uh or just outside of my little neighborhood in burbank california with some daytime scenes shot in and around salem for those one more i'm sorry before you move on to salem which is another character in this whole story Shout out to the two actors that brought the talking cat Thackeray Binks to life. Uh, Jason Marsden, who played the voice of the cat, um, which even though it has that early CG like talking animal look, it kind of works because he is supposed to be like this cursed human boy. So like when he talks, even though it looks wrong, it looks wrong in a way that like feels right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Anyway, James Marsden, I'm sorry, Jason Marsden, James Marsden's a different actor. Jason Marsden uh, is most famous for being the voice of Max Goof from a Goofy movie and uh, subsequent appearances. And Sean Murray uh, played the uh, flesh Thackeray Banks from 1693 uh, in the opening sequence and in the ending. And there was like this whole thing in Tumblr uh, like back in the 2000s where everybody said that like young Thackeray Banks was like a heartthrob and like a lot of girls and boys sexual awakening and watching it today. He just has like nineties <laughs> hair. He just yeah. has like flowing nineties <laughs> hair. That's it. He is a mid to average looking teen. I'm going to say it. <laughs> 
Uh, Ortega said about the rigs and all the flying. I can't tell you how many times the flying rigs just halted and the girls were dangling there above our heads for what felt like forever. Most of the time they were hysterically laughing, but sometimes it could be really painful. Still, Bette Midler refers to the opportunity to fly in the film as, quote, one of the greatest joys I've ever experienced as an actor. Ortega also said, we didn't have all of the technology we have now. Doug Jones, uh, who played Billy Butcherson, had his mouth sewn shut. And when he opened it up, there was a balloon inside of it and another he uh, and and another he opened his mouth and moths really did fly out of his mouth. All of that can be done with visual effects and animation now. So, so much practical stuff. They also just didn't have a very big budget at all to work with. I so. mean, 28 million was like pretty OK for a family movie of that era back when like you could have kind of. I'm not calling this a B movie, but like a double A feature film mm-hmm. at the very least. Um, the uh, I watched a behind the scenes thing from like the 90s that they made to uh, kind of promote the movie back in the day. It has that nice VHS hiss. I love it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of like wire work choreography going into this movie. There's tons of chase scenes and aerial maneuvers and like. These, you know, they're swooping in and out and doing all this kind of complicated movements. And it's very hard to nail that down IRL. If, like, the rig moves, like, a meter per second faster than it's supposed to, Bette Midler shoots past the kid she's supposed to snag. If the rig goes slower, then, like, she's not actually catching up to the kid and it doesn't look dangerous. It took tons and tons of takes to nail just those, like, little sweeping shots of the witches. Uh, for a lot of the faraway shots and for some green screen work, there were also puppets made of the three witches that were highly articulated and looked really cool. Uh, but that was, uh, yeah, that was the main production headache, I think, was the just having to wrangle these uh, legendary theater actresses. Yeah, yeah, for sure. On a pulley system. Another thing about those those uh, broom uh, flying scenes, choreographer Peggy Holmes actually rode with each of the actresses in a car and just watched how they drove and then translated those driving ap- approaches to how they drive a car to how they would ride on a broom and kind of directed them in that way, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and one, uh, interestingly enough, uh, do you have anything else on the actual film of the movie I'm, I'm moving into editing and music and stuff after that no i don't really have that much uh i really sh- i just couldn't get a hold of the uh book i'm sure there's tons more stories and you hocus pocus heads i'm sure will tell us what we uh what some of the behind the scenes drama that went on uh you know maybe that unfortunately the biggest fan of hocus pocus is in fact boner boy and as we all know uh as you just said he is mute so he will not be able to inform you of all the many tidbits he has shame <laughs> uh one major one major change in the editing was done apparently via disney's insistence that the film be more geared towards the kids they again this is one of the first big tells they really had no idea what the fuck to no, do with no, this movie. No, it was uh, like Spielberg had changed the game by this point. We had E.T. We had uh, uh, what's what's the, what a bunch of other fucking Spielberg movies like it's the the changing the perspective to the point of view of the kid like really resonated with audiences at the time. You know, a good uh, the first portion of the movie is just Max, you know, the uh, Omri Katz's character uh, just like. Getting bullied and having shitty teachers right. and aloof parents and like we're really it and an annoying little sister 
like the movie is really supposed to be from his perspective and mm-hmm. we're supposed to um despite the fact that the camera and director Kenny Ortega just wants to film Bette Midler being sassy and keep every second of footage that he can of that. Uh, it's, you can definitely tell like those early segments feel like they were put in to make the film have that kind of Spielberg uh, kid down on his luck perspective that then kind of fades away once the movie actually picks up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, th- th- all that to say, though, the, uh, they, there were five huge scenes with the witches that never made the movie. These include the witches shopping for ingredients at a supermarket, the witches handing out candy crows to greedy children, and the witches exploring the boys' locker room in the school. I'm sure there was nothing horny going on in that scene, as well as the school pool. These are all are all lost scenes not available on any bonus features. However, you can see snippets of them in the film's trailer, actually. But uh, yeah, it was apparently, but it's also interesting to me the the way movie magic works that like the film was written and shot with the three ladies more at the forefront of the entire thing. And then they just like decided not to do that and were managed in the editing to completely alter the POV of the film. Mm. You know, that is just pretty wild, wild stuff. The music was scored by John Debney, who was a last-minute replacement, so he had to get it done in two weeks. Debney has continued up until this day and also did the score for Hocus Pocus 2. And, uh, I'm sorry, Debney has continued to work up until this day, and he also actually did the score for Hocus Pocus 2 and uh, also did a ton of stuff. Too many projects to name, but some of which are Spy Kids, Sin City, Spider-Man 2, The Greatest Showman, just an, again, just like an endless amount of workhorse just has been consistently producing soundtracks for years and years. Yeah, his dad was a producer at Disney, so he had a very early in, and uh, after pursuing music at school, Hocus Pocus was his first studio feature, uh, which led to a prolific career. Uh, Debney replaced James Horner. James Horner was uh, known for stuff like Aliens, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Braveheart, and the only reason why I mention him here is that he wrote the now, I feel like, one of the most kind of... If you're a Hocus Pocus fan, you're a big fan of Sarah's theme, also known as Come Little Children, which Sarah Jessica Parker performs the vocals on herself. April, mind giving us a little slice of it? I'm sure the listeners, especially the fans, uh, the big fans of this movie, I know they want to hear it. Of course, you also I have I have put a spell on you, a song by Bette Midler, which is classic as well. And um, man, I'm so glad that he was able to insert that musicality into the film mm-hmm. uh, without making it a full on musical, because that means we're, we're getting I don't know what we're getting, but we're getting some really fun, like musical numbers in the sequel uh, that I know the ladies have talked about in interviews. So that's pretty exciting. So. 
Yeah, man. Um, going back to the release, we already talked about how it came out in July uh, and failed to make a splash because it also was released the same day as Free Willy, pun intended. Uh, this decision was apparently made uh, because they wanted to just get this movie out when the kids were home from school. Uh, but I, I just think that they really should have released it in the fall. I mean, it was up against Jurassic Park. It it had everything working against it. Um, yeah, yeah, for and sure. The, the just the energy, the for everything from the campiness of the performances to the mm-hmm. editing to just the vibe. Of it r- critics just were not ready for it. They were not down with it. I watched Siskel and Ebert. They both hated it. They hated were it. Talking about the sound design and the editing, they did not like how much of the back and forth between the witches like overlapped. They thought they were missing jokes. They thought the director was just enamored with Bette Midler and like. They could have used a harsher edit like it just whatever this like the the unique energy this movie had just was not what the America's newspaper and television critics were ready for. Ortega said, honestly, at that point, I thought it's all over for me. Thought to myself, I'm never going to get a chance to do this ever again. My career as a filmmaker was all over. But It wasn't until a good while later that the film ended up being a hit once it made its way to home video. Ortega said, then over the years, everything changes. What I've learned is don't give up. I believe in Hocus Pocus. The girls believed in it. And even though it wasn't found by audiences immediately, the generations have believed in it. Kathy Najimy said, it came out in summer, but I think it should have come out in the fall. It sort of did okay, but went away. What we think happened was people weren't sure if they could bring their kids or not and wondered if it was it was scary or not. Then it came on television. It became a runaway train. Parents showed it to their kids, and those parents showed it to theirs. It was a surprise to us all. Bed Midler said, it was like an ugly duckling, a little creature that nobody thought could do anything, and now it's a swan. It's found its wings, and it's just flown away. I think it's fantastic. And Kenny Ortega lastly said about the uh, resurgence, I'm just glad that although we had a slow start, we became known and embraced, and the audience I'd always hoped for found us. People asked me what audience we were going for, and I said I wanted a broad audience. Some thought I didn't know what audience I was going after, kids or adults or whatever, but I knew. I'm grateful it has turned out that way. I was right after all. I just love this kind of story. I love the story of this thing that is a flop at first, but it's like no matter what, it's inevitable when something is made that, you know, especially in this case where like the actors had a blast The director was enthusiastic. There was nothing cynical about this film. This was something that a a project that a bunch of people uh, were excited to make and made it with with, you know, great, great energy and and, uh, you know, and positivity. And I just feel like no matter what, that will always, always shine through and break past any kind of bad decision made by an executive or something like that and find its audience. I just love it. Absolutely love it. I think it really does the holiday marketing. The fact that Hocus Pocus uh, kind of stood out from the pack where if if a channel like uh, the family, ABC family slash freeform slash whatever did a 13 nights of Halloween thing, you know, it would be up against Ernest Scared Stupid and Monster House and like all these other movies that were kind of, you know, not exactly easy for parents to watch with their kids. But 
Hocus Pocus has something for everybody. It's yeah. got the broad comedy. It's got the camp. It's got these classic actresses. The it's got fun horniness. special It's got the horniness. It's got the horniness for our <laughs> pile of boys. Madonna's big cone tits and the... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, DVD sales was a huge boon for this movie where, you know, it was ready to go in the Halloween display at Blockbuster, at Walmart, you know, yeah. take it home. The movie would consistently sell over a million copies in DVD form every October as families were looking for something to watch to usher in this Halloween spirit that it was taking over America. It really was in the right time at the right place. And it was made by people who were passionate, who were having a great time, who believed in the movie. And it really stands out from the crowd visually and uh, from just the comedy and performances. It just it is. By the way, I, I almost feel like we're bearing the lead here. Those costumes are just really fun for people to put on at Halloween and are instantly recognizable. Instant, you know, I was, they all have. It, the, I always talk about how like. You know, I think a pitfall a lot of people fall into on Halloween is dressing up as something that you have to explain mm -hmm. to people all night. And because you're going to many parties, uh, you're going to you're inevitably going to be doing it, even if you don't want to. If you make it at all confusing or mm -hmm. at all like uh, just more, you know, difficult to discern. And because people need to make small talk at parties. So you're just immediately put in that position to have to do that if your costume isn't in very recognizable. In fact, I think the reason why. I watched Hocus Pocus in the first place because it kind of slipped by me. We we didn't really talk about this in the in the gush part of the show, but uh, I had never watched it. I didn't see it until um, probably like a few years ago or so when Lexi went uh, as with a trio with our friend Carly and maybe Jackie. I can't remember who the third person was, but they all went, and she was the Kathy and Jimmy. Uh, uh, of the trio and uh, yeah. And, and so we ended up watching the movie and I was like, wow, this is actually really fun. <laughs> like I really like this. So uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know for a fact whether or not it was Kirshner who had a influence on the costume designs, but he did get a start as a visual artist. And for uh -huh. a lot of his movies, you know, he like produced animated series for Hanna-Barbera, like, he really does have a keen eye for character design and visuals. And all three of the Sanderson sisters do have distinct silhouettes um, from the Queen Elizabeth booth that Bette Midler has to like the point that uh, Kathy and Jimmy has to the long flowing hair and profile of Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, the actual costumes themselves was made by a woman named uh, Mary Voigt, 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 um, and a little weird uh, Easter egg is that Max's tie-dye shirt was uh, actually made using the dyes from the witch's dresses as like a nice visual mirror of the protagonist and antagonist. But it's, yeah, like you said, extremely distinctive, requires no explanation, like visible on site and from a distance. Incredibly strong designs. Um, Bette Midler's like little rosebud lipstick uh, uh -huh. accentuates her buck teeth and like uh, really just trans, you know, creates this like very unique look for the character. Uh, Kathy and Jimmy's dumb side mouth. Like it all like it's all just incredibly sticky visuals that makes uh -huh. these characters uh, unique from just a standard Halloween witch outfit. Totally. So how the fuck 30 years pass and 
all of a sudden we've got, and again, just to show you how iconic, we've just got the silhouette of the three of them, and you immediately know what that's a teaser for, for this sequel coming out, that I think it'll be out by the time this episode drops, Holden, only by a matter of days. If there's one thing I've learned, it's if we release it before the sequel, actually, before the then thing actually drops, <laughs> we're in the clear. We don't yeah, have yeah. to dance around it. It might be good, it might be bad, who knows? We I can hope, just be well, excited I hope it's good. I feel it. like we do curse things by being like, and I'm so excited for this thing to happen, and then everyone hates it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, though. I uh, oh, I'm, I just feel my jinx happening right now. Not jinx. Jinx, Your jinx. Thackeray jinx. But it's really kind of amazing uh, that this thing even happened, and especially how it happened. For a while, Kenny Ortega considered getting an adaptation up on Broadway. However, this never came to be. He wanted to make it a musical. Uh, he was. You always talked about how great that would be, and and I totally get it. I, I feel like it should have actually happened, honestly. But years passed. The film reached a sort of legendary status that we've talked about, and more and more families made it a Halloween tradition, and you know it just kept building steam. And it was really, honestly. Bette Midler herself, who kept pushing to get a sequel off the ground in various interviews. Midler said, even when it became a phenomenon, a sequel wasn't considered. Ten years on, when I started seeing the returns, I was surprised and I started making calls. <laughs> we got no interest at all. And a few years <laughs> after that, Based, I know, right? Once the residuals kicked in and she was like, oh, I could finally buy that third house. <laughs> <laughs> and a few years after that, I remember I needed the costume and I asked the studio to loan it to me, but they couldn't. My friend suggested that I go online. So I looked and I was shocked because I'd never seen so much Hocus Pocus merch. I bought the costume and I came as Winnie here and there for this benefit or for this benefit or that benefit. And I realized there was something going on. As I watched it progress, I'd call the studio once a year to ask, how about it? It wasn't until about three years ago that they advocated for it and a movement started. It picked up when they decided that they wanted it to be a streamer. They never looked back until they got their movie. And honestly, the most interesting element here is that while Disney flopped around considering a remake or other things and not really know what to do with it, and it just really came down to Bette Midler and Sarah Jessica Parker, and I think Kathy and Jimmy, too, specifically in interviews, just being like, I would totally do it. I would love to do that. I would love to do that again with those ladies and and make a sequel. And hey, fans of this <laughs> thing, fucking hit up Disney. Make this happen. And it was literally just there. It kind of it's almost like um another like Sonic's teeth situation <laughs> where it really was like the people just rising up and be like, Disney, knock knock. We all they we want this to happen. They want this to happen. It just feels like a total no-brainer, especially now that you know, Midler already was a huge star at the time, but the other two are even bigger than they ever were. It's just like how obvious this would be. And now you have a bunch of people who are also stars in their own right, who are fans of it from when they were a kid, who would probably be more than happy to help oh. write it or act in it or whatever. They have a, it's a great cast for this thing. Absolutely. For sure. I mean, um, you know, uh, Midler in 2020 did a, uh, one of those celebrity COVID like green screen so uh camp like specials that she did for one of her charities, and she like did a reunion with Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy and Jimmy. She had like everybody from Keenan Thompson to Billy Crystal doing cameos for this thing. 
Like she does the routines in her concerts. Disney itself, uh, just as just this year, their Halloween spectacular is centered around the Sanderson sisters. Yeah. Like it, it they are part of the Disney canon. They are a franchise. They are a property in a way that like if you told me in 1994, hey, what is the definitive movie of Halloween? I'd be like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Why? Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's so much absolutely such a big part of it. David Kirshner is back as executive producer. Uh, uh, and the other returning folks are, of course, Bette Midler, Kathleen Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker, as well as Doug Jones repri- reprising his role of Billy Butcherson. And joining the cast are Hannah Waddingham. Uh, you may recognize her from Ted Lasso. Tony Hale, of course, fantastic. Arrested Development, Veep, so funny. And Sam Richardson, who is another amazing standout from the show's Veep. I mean, I He's love him so from funny. I- think you should leave but he's done so many amazing things he's so fucking funny i'm so happy to was so happy to see his name on the cast list and if you're a rupaul's drag race fan then you'll be happy to hear that ginger minge one of my personal favorites i literally watched her uh, holiday show last christmas uh as well as cornbread it was a big standout from this past uh rupaul's all uh uh, past uh season of rupaul's drag race and uh kimura hall will be appearing as drag versions of the three witches um um, and this is most likely a nod to the way the drag community has embraced the film. Ortega spoke about the kind of queer undertones of the movie. He said, I mean, the girls are almost drag queens. I pushed for them to go there and kind of felt that we have an audience uh, and, and kind of felt that we have an audience if they did. And God knows we did. They're beloved characters and emulated all the time. Every Halloween, they're knocking on my door. Those Sanderson sisters are back. There's just kind of a spirit and a fun that is representative of of my own spirit and fun that lives under some of my work. And it, that, that makes it, I think, queer friendly, if that's whoa, a good way whoa, to put whoa. it. Is he suggesting that there's an element to the grotesque in the art form of drag? I don't know. <laughs> it seems like a bit of a stretch. <laughs> and I think there's been so much progress that you can actually say that now and people won't freak out. <laughs> the script was written by Jin D'Angelo, who most li- mostly has worked in television before this on stuff like Workaholics and, the, uh, and Young Rock. The Rocks TV show. The director is Ann Fletcher, who, like Ortega, started out as a choreographer on stuff like the 2007 remake of the movie Hairspray and Boogie Nights and ended up moving over to directing, uh, starting with the romantic dance film Step Up. Midler said, Ann was so great. She said, you guys created these characters. You know how they talk and what they do or don't do. When the first draft came in, we sent it back with character notes and suggestions, and they interpolated them into the script. As it went on, if there were lapses in logic, we'd bring it to their attention, but it was more about how the characters speak. So a very collaborative. Another thing they definitely pushed for, the act, the actresses, the, the three witches, were like, we have to sing. We, cannot, we have to have songs in this movie. We have to have musical numbers. It's definitely a big part of it and so of course there are and the new movie plays on Salem becoming this like tourist hotspot revolving around what happened with the three witches in the early 90s and uh, I love that meta aspect of I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of callbacks to how like they were this kind of little story that could or you know um, how despite the odds they became this big deal Uh, and uh, you know I think it's Literally, those actresses wandering around town just being shocked that everyone cares this much about the Sanderson sisters, right? Like, I think that's really going to be a, such a big part of it, which is what's going, what went on with them in real life. Midler said, 
And this is my final quote, by the way. After 30 years with no sequel to Hocus Pocus, I've always been envious of people who get to do their favorite character more than once. The fact that we got to do this finally after 30 years of promoting the idea, I'm glad we got to do it. I'd love to have a franchise, especially a character I love playing. If there was a third one, of course I'd sign on, but I don't know how. I can't imagine what the story would be, but I love Winifred, Sarah, Mary, and our relationship. It's good for women. We stick together through hell and high water, (laughs) but we do cause mayhem, and not many women cause that much mayhem. Uh, love you, Bet. So good. Just watching a witch devour the soul of a child, and I'm just like, <laughs> yes, queen. <laughs> I just love the underdog story. I just I love, you know, these situations where you just can't believe they're actually making a sequel after all this time. And they got all three original uh actresses to 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 play those parts, and it just is so clear that not only did they believe in this thing, but a lot of people believe in this thing to make it, you know, stand way past the test of time and not be forgotten and become a tradition for a lot of households on Halloween. It's definitely become a tradition for me at this point. I pretty much always put it on, I think, uh, every Halloween at some point during the month because it's just so nice and enjoyable. It's definitely something that I can confuse my daughter with. Uh, by throwing it on and she'll, Daddy, she'll get to yabos? ask me what a yeah she'll get to ask me what yabos are and what a virgin is can't wait uh, so anyways I, I yeah I'm glad we covered this at first I was worried I was like is there enough here and uh, this this kind of story it's my favorite kind of story mm-hmm. any other fi- any final words Jake any final thoughts to melt the hearts of our listeners make them cry Jake take it away when Thora Birch openly mocks her brother for being a virgin at age 16. It really (laughs) resonated with me. I just was like, oh man, that is, I got to start fucking as quick as possible. I mean, (laughs) and then as a teenager, when I fell in love with age appropriate Thora Birch, I was like, damn, looks like she finally got those yabos she was waiting on. (laughs) And I was like, sunrise, sunset, it's all connected. We're all part of one beautiful world. And then I joined the pile of horny boys and I shoved myself into a helicopter blade. Man, do I regret giving you this moment at the end of this show. With that, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Wizard and the Bruiser, your one-stop shop for normal jokes about normal things. Um, if you'd like to, I don't know why you would, but if you'd like to su- support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. No, I know why you would because you get weekly bonus episodes for just $5 a month. And on the $15 a layer, you can do uh, enjoy our Sunday study session over there on that Discord, uh, the Whizbrew Discord. We Every Sunday, we cover whatever, you know, hey, this Sunday, watch Togus Pogus. Had a fucking blast. So uh, come check that out if you're curious. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, yeah. And twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. May start adding a couple uh, very soon, actually. Maybe even uh, when you're hearing this, there's there might be a couple of morning streams as well coming out. So definitely check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Hey, you know what people love? Calls to actions. The good old CTA. Uh, you know what? It's been, it's, we've been doing this show for a while. We've been off of Spotify for a solid year at this point. 
and the support that we've gotten is great, but we kind of, we need a little bit of help getting back on the charts, getting people to, you know, give us a listen for, uh, now that we're back from the, the walls of exclusivity. So if you could, if you have the time, just you're listening on your phone. I know you have a phone. What are you, what are you listening to this on your hi-fi system? Bullshit. You're on your phone. Open the Apple Podcasts app and leave us a review. Five stars, preferably. And uh, if you are doing it because of this specific plea that I'm giving you right now, the code word to let me know is um, yabos. If if at one point the word yabos, yabos is in the review. Sorry. Or I, boner boy. Whatever <laughs> one you want, unfortunately. Either, either way, I would love to check in on the iTunes, on, on the, iTunes <laughs> the Apple Podcast reviews. And see that at least a couple of people went out of their way to do something nice for us because it really helps the podcast out a lot. And uh, twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared, you know what it is. I watch cartoons on Thursday nights. It's a blast. Watch. Check it out. Hell yeah. Great stuff, dude. Yeah, that stream is awesome, uh, Jake. And uh, yeah, hey, always remember, never stop whizzing. And keep on bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.